This is Bob Morris in Desert Horticulture. I have some tomato and pepper plants in pots. Is it too early to plant them? I've been reading about pheromone traps. What pheromone traps can I use in my fruit orchard and how do I use them? What type of grapes should I grow to make raisins? Any special tricks to making raisins? Is it too late to replace a flowering plum tree? What type of fertilizer do you suggest for table grapes? I don't seem to be producing much in the last three years. These topics and more in Desert Horticulture. Learn more about Desert Horticulture by signing up for my blog, Extreme Horticulture of the Desert. That's all one word, Extreme Horticulture, and starting with an X. Take some of my classes on Eventbrite if you're in the Las Vegas area. That's Bob Morris on Eventbrite. Let's uh, get right into the questions. Uh, a lot of them have to do with whether the temperatures, uh, soil temperatures in particular, or even air temperatures are warm enough yet for some of the plants. And it's going to vary depending upon which plants we're trying to grow. Uh, some of them will tolerate cooler soils or cooler air temperatures and some won't. So we have to discriminate based upon that. And there are some things that we can do to manage the soil temperatures as well as the air temperatures, and I discussed some of those on the soil temperatures in an earlier broadcast. But uh, the first question, I have some tomatoes and pepper plants in pots. They're about 18 inches tall. It's too early to plant them in my raised bed garden, yes or no. It's been cold lately. And that is going to be a concern, and first of all, the first thing that jumped out on at me was this 18 inches tall that's a lot bigger than I like to see plants going into the into the yard, <clears throat> into the garden raised bed area, whether they're tomatoes or peppers, whatever. I like to see them about six inches tall, um, rather than eighteen inches tall. They, when when we put them in the soil, if the soil has been prepared properly, the soil temperatures are up high enough. They're going to catch. They're going to. You're going to see them take off right away. You're going to see some new growth. As soon soon after planting them. But if the soil is cold, if the plants are too large, uh, if the air temperature is too cold, they're gonna sit there for a while before they're gonna they before they're gonna grow because the temperatures just aren't warm enough for them. These are tropical plants, both tomatoes and peppers. If we grow them in tropical climates, they're gonna get tall. They're gonna last several years. At some point we could cut them back and we can get them to regrow in tropical climates, but um, otherwise we're going to have to replant them after a freeze uh, or manage the soil. Get them if it's during the if we, if the last danger of frost is past and temperatures are starting to warm up, we can manage that soil temperature. We can, in many ways, manage the air temperature as well. But for instance, 18 inches tall. They're just really big. Uh, so what I'll probably do is, uh, if I have something that large and I don't have a choice of getting anything smaller, is I'm going to pinch that uh, plant back. Uh, what I may also do is I may also, because the root system isn't quite large enough to, su to support the top, because it's been in a container, unless the container's huge, that's a big plant, 18 inches tall. So if the container is big to accommodate it, it might be okay uh, if we're putting it in the ground, but we're still going to see a lag between the time we put it in the ground and the time that it's going to catch. So putting them in the ground when they're much smaller, 
really gives that root system a chance to develop. But the soil temperatures should be at least 60 degrees, 60, 65 degree temperatures before we start to see that root system start to catch, be start to grow. It will grow at cooler temperatures. It'll just grow more slowly. And there is a danger at uh, when soil temperatures are so cold or so cool that uh, it may not grow fast enough. It may not grow fast enough to outgrow disease problems. It may develop disease problems as a result of cooler soils because it's going to have, when it gets down around 50, it's going to potentially have some chilling injury. Think of that banana in the refrigerator kind of a thing with tropical fruits and tropical plants. So you really need those temperatures. How do you know if those temperatures are right? One way is to look at the air temperatures, both the daytime and low air, low air temperatures, uh, nighttime temperatures. Look at your maximum temperature during the day, minimum temperature at night. Divide the two, and you're going to roughly approximate what the soil temperature is going to be like. Remember, as air temperatures are starting to warm, soil temperatures are lagging behind it. So it's going to be slightly below that. But generally speaking, we're going to be in that range. So if you take, if it's a 65 degree air temperature and the air temperatures at night are 45, that's a 20 degree difference. Subtract 10 from 65, we're looking at 55 degree soil temperatures, approaching 55 degree soil temperatures if the air temperatures are still climbing. So that's still too cold. I would wait a little bit either that or cover the soil with clear plastic or plastic get that soil warmed up uh, so that the air temperatures in the day are are fine at 65 degrees it's that cool soil temperature definitely you don't want to put a surface mulch down yet you want that soil to warm up on warm season crops like temp like tomatoes and peppers let that soil begin to warm up I'll use a uh, soil thermometer. They run about $10, $12. You can buy them online or maybe you can find them locally. I don't know. The one that I usually use is an inexpensive one made by Accurite. Runs about $10. So if I'm going to put that plant in the soil, I'll measure as a transplant, I'll measure that soil at about 2 inch depth where those roots, average root depth is going to be in that container with it. I don't like plants in large containers. Why? Because the root system in container plants is very different than the root system development in, in the soil. And when we take a plant from a container and we put it in the soil, a lot of that root system that developed in the container has to die before it's going to regrow its roots in the right areas for a soil that's in a raised bed. So you're going to have, the larger the container, the more root depth you're going to have, depth, depth you're going to have. It's going to have to regrow, reestablish itself. So when I'm measuring the soil temperature, it's about two inch depth because that's where the majority of the roots are going to be growing. And that's the soil temperature I'm worried about. And that I want at least 60 degrees for tomatoes and peppers and other warm season vegetables. I wanted about that. So I'll stick that. So if I'm doing seed, then it's going to be a lot shallower than that. The soil temperature is going to be the depth where the seed is located. And seed depth usually 
is about twice its width. So really small seeds go on the surface. You just cover the seed with a little bit of uh, something on top of it. Could be a sand, it could be a mulch, anything to keep it moist because that humidity is so bad in the desert. It's so low. It's not bad. It's so low in the temp in the in in it that it'll dry out very quickly. And remember when we have seed germination, we just want to keep the seed moist. We don't want need to keep the soil moist. It can dry out between between irrigations, but both that seed needs to stay wet when it's first planted. And then after that, the soil can dry out because the seed is still wet. So you want the seed, the, the soil can dry, but you don't want it to over dry. <laughs> Hard to explain. It's, it's part of having a green thumb, I guess. So anyway, take your soil temperatures down around two inches for, uh, for plants, transplants, and around uh, the, whatever the seed depth is going to be. But again, warm season, warm season plants are going to be right around, uh, are going to be a lot higher than cool season plants. So cool season plants, they can grow in when soil temperatures are 45, 50 degrees. And that's not going to be a problem for most of the cool season. That's not true. Really pay attention to the seed label. It's going to tell you, hopefully, it will say what soil temperature is best. You'll see differences in soil temperatures, for instance, on varieties. Like uh, on beans, for instance, some of them require a little bit warmer temperatures than others. And if you put them in cool soils, some varieties will grow and some varieties will grow up and die. They'll have, develop collar rot, for instance on some varieties. So be really careful uh, when you're putting that stuff in and make sure it's warm enough. Like I told you, one way to do it is that plastic and cut slits in it and then plant in it after the plastic has been down a couple of days and the soil can warm up. Remember also you're going to warm up those soils a little bit by adding compost or whatever amendment you're going to do to fluff up that soil, get it fluffy, let more air into that soil and uh, let it warm up a lot faster than planting directly into a, uh, a soil that, that is compacted. Okay, so anyway, transplant shock really is just nothing more than the adjustment period that it has from container to the raised bed. That's transplant shock. If it's for trees and shrubs, it's going to be that time adjustment period from the container into the soil uh, that you're into the landscape soil. And remember, the roots grow a lot differently depending upon what medium they're growing in. Water, for instance, if you're starting cuttings in water, the root system is entirely different than growing in soil. If you're growing them in a container, they're different than growing in, in a raised bed. So when you're moving those plants from, from whatever medium you've started them in into the raised bed or a soil medium, there is going to be an adjustment period. The smaller the plants, usually the less shock involved with them. 
Next question, I was reading about pheromone traps for insect control on fruit trees. What insect pests occur here that I can use with pheromone traps and reduce the need for chemical spraying? Well, uh, on the pheromone, I've been using pheromone traps since the late 90s. Uh, and the two insects that I usually focus pheromone traps for temperate plants uh, for temperate fruit trees are going to be the um, are going to be the um, peaches and the peach uh, twig borer, not not the borer that gets in the trunk, but this is the twig borer, and also the coddling moth that gets into apples, pears, quince, those kinds of fruit. They call the they they the coddling moth causes wormy apples, wormy pears, the peach twig borer causes wormy peaches and in some cases that twig borer can get into late later apricots as well as um, as the husk around almonds you can find them in there if you've got it really bad what I'll do in the orchard to check for peach twig borer because they'll hit they'll hit the orchard and give a very distinguishing look to new growth um, as opposed to the coddling moth. The coddling moth doesn't seem to do this, to my knowledge. But the peach twig borer, what I'll do in around, in our climate, around uh, the latter part of mid to late April, depending upon the weather, and into early May, I'll walk through the peach area and I'll start looking at the tops, the new growth coming from the stems towards the tops of the tree. Typically that's where I can see it because I'll start to see some of the new growth beginning to die back. I'll see the new growth starting to become um, dead, dying back, and that usually tells me I have twig borer present in my peaches and or apricots and I've got to do something to protect them or I'm going to have either wormy fruit or I'm not going to worry about it, won't look at the fruit and I'll eat it and get a little bit of extra protein while I'm eating it as well. Your choice on that, but you can use pheromone traps for the coddling moth as well as the peach twig borer. The pheromone traps release a scent into the orchard and it, 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 that scent attracts one of the mating partners, either the male or female, and either prevents mating from occurring, and that, that we call that mating disruption, which eliminates or partially eliminates the need for pesticides spraying. The other option is to use these traps as indicators of when to spray. So there are sprays that you can apply to the orchard and control both peach twig borer and uh, coddling moth. And if we don't use some indicator of when they're flying, such as pheromone traps, when the adults are flying, uh, we, we may have to spray as many for coddling moths maybe six, seven, eight times a year in order to get coddling moth control and peach twig borer multiple times as well. But if we know when they're flying, we've got a couple of days uh, leeway after we first sense them caught in the trap 
of when we can make that pesticide application. So you, there's, you have to decide whether you want to try to shoot for mating disruption, which means you're going to flood that whole area with pheromones. Pheromones are sex attractants, so that, like I said, they're, they're scents that are released uh, into the orchard, or you're going to use that as an indicator of when to spray. It's your choice on that. Uh, I think for the homeowner, they're probably going to focus more on mating disruption, which could be a problem a little bit because you're surrounded with other people growing these trees as well, these fruit trees as well. So what do you do? Well, the traps themselves are usually cardboard, made out of cardboard. And inside the trap, you'll find the bottom section usually is covered with some sort of sticky substance that will capture the insect once they fly towards the lure. The lure is a impregnated rubber tube or a capsule that's put inside the lure somewhere that draws the the insect into the trap. Once they get in the trap, they're stuck to the sticky surface. Uh, so for mating disruption, you just need to make sure that you have enough traps spread through the orchard area or through your wherever you're growing the fruit trees and you have to make sure that it's releasing enough of the chemical uh, continuously so that these insects are drawn to it and not drawn to the fruit. It's very important when you're looking at both the peach twig borer and the coddling moth to get early control, get the control done as soon as possible because these both of these insects when they're in the orchard will build on previous numbers. So let's say you have 10 that are in your orchard area. Well the next time you're going to have 150 the next cycle which isn't a very long time. The next cycle you could have 500. The next cycle you could have 2,500. The next cycle you could have 10,000. So they're going to build, build, build. That's why it's so important to get early control done. Get rid of those early flights as soon as possible so you reduce those numbers and that multiplier effect that occurs as the numbers begin to build, build, build through the growing season. That's true of so many of the insects that we're talking about that have repeat cycles in the orchard. They just repeat upon themselves and build their populations. Not as critical as those insect pests that have one cycle, like the borers, for instance, the wood-boring borers that get into these trees. They'll have one cycle per year. So it's not going to be as critical to, it's still critical to prevent them, but it's not as critical to, to, to reduce those, that early flight as it is those repeat repeaters and repeaters that I'm talking about. So anyway, so I'm going through the orchard like about April, middle April, and I'm looking at the tops of the trees, the peach trees. I'm looking for dieback. Coddling moth, I don't know. I, I, I don't see that dieback. So with coddling moth, it's really important to get a trap out, out early. So if I have, let's say, uh, 75, 100 peach trees, I'll maybe use for mating disruption, I'll maybe use three three or four traps. Uh if I'm if I'm just using it to to uh decide 
uh, to decide when to spray, I'll only need one trap. But for mating disruption, I need to disperse that pheromone in a wide enough area as possible continuously so that I draw the opposite sex into these sticky traps and get rid of them. Got it? All right. So that's what I'm going to be doing. My first deployment, what I'll do is I'll take one trap, I'll put it out about middle of April, and I'll see what I'm catching. I'll monitor it. I'll go out and see it every day. And when I start to see those little tiny moths caught in there, usually what I'll see is if it's been warm, I'll see the first day I'll, I'll get a few of the, uh, of the moths in, and then the next day or two I'll get a whole bunch bunch of the moths in. That means there was a flight. That means they're out there. That means if I'm spraying, I've got a couple of days to get the spray on. Uh, but if I'm doing mating disruption, that's my cue to start getting my other traps deployed. So I'm going to go ahead and get the other traps located. And when, our, when I put them, if it's her peach twig borer, guess where I put them? I put them in the peach trees and I disperse the traps wide enough apart so that I get a full flowing amount of pheromone of the sex attractant of whatever the attractant is out there always. When do you replace? You have to replace both the lure and you have to replace the sticky bottoms, the bottom of the trap. The traps that I would look for, by the way, are not the delta traps. Those are the triangular, long triangular ones. Don't use those. I prefer the, um, the other traps that are open on all sides for mating disruption. If you're going to be using it for just monitoring and finding out when they're flying, the delta traps are fine. But I just felt like I've used both at the same time, the delta traps and uh, the open traps, uh, the winged, what are called the winged traps. I've used both of them, and I just feel like I get better control. They're a little bit more expensive, but I get better control with the winged traps that are open on all sides than I do that delta trap that's open only open on, on two ends of it. So I'll get the delta trap. I'll put the delta, excuse me, not the delta, the, um, the winged trap out with a fresh sticky bottom and a lure around middle of April and I'll just watch it. I'll look for that first flight. When I start to see some moths and then I see like a hundred of them in that sticky bottom, I get the others. I'll, for a hundred fruit trees, I'll put out about three traps. So I'll put one at the beginning where they're the beginning of the rows, the middle of the rows, and the end of the rows. I'll, I'll disperse them that way. If you've got a home yard situation, you've just got a couple of fruit trees, probably one trap is going to be enough unless those trees are far apart. And then you're not going to get, you're not going to get the flood of pheromone that you want to get for those trees. Then you're going to have to use two traps to flood it. So anyway, when to replace the sticky bottom? when they catch a whole bunch of bugs in them or when they get dirty from blowing dust whatever it might be if they're no longer sticky you've got to replace the bottom generally speaking I'm usually replacing the bottom about once 
every one or two weeks because of the dust primarily. And the pheromone, the capsule itself, I'll usually buy the strongest pheromone I can get and then I'll replace it monthly. So that's a little impregnated rubber, like a rubber tip, like a, like a swollen eraser tip that goes inside the trap. Usually what I'll do, and I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'll put the pheromones, the capsules, I'll put them in a sealed plastic bag and I'll put them in the freezer. I'll freeze them. You're not supposed to store them with food. But I'm thinking, okay, I've got them in a sealed plastic bag, even two plastic bags, sealed. And then when I need one, I open it up, I go get it, I get out a fresh one, I put it in the trapper. In this case, if three are deployed, I get three of them and replace all three at once. If the bottom is, is not no longer sticky and it's not going to catch many moths, because that's really what I'm hoping to do is I want to attract them, so I want plenty of pheromone, but I need that sticky bottom. If that sticky bottom isn't there, say la vie, you're going to have, they're going to just going to fly to the lure and then fly off somewhere. Who knows? Maybe even attack your fruit or new growth if that's a particular case on it. So that's what I'll do because I've got peaches coming on from May all the way through September. So I've got to flood that whole area, that whole period of time. Once the peaches are gone and you've harvested them, you don't need the pheromone traps anymore. Unless you are wanting to try to reduce the population. If you still have a large population, you might want to get the pheromone traps out. And uh, and to reduce those populations and those numbers. But otherwise, or just if you've harvested the fruit and it's acceptable to you, go ahead and spray them with an acceptable spray and go ahead and kill them. The fruit's gone. So all you're going to do is, uh, is then spray the tree. Of course, it can't be certified organic once you do that, unless the spray is organ- certified organic spray. But uh, you could use that uh, to reduce the populations as well. So that's it on the pheromone traps. The two insect pests that I would focus on right now is the peach twig borer that I told you about with the, the attack the shoot. They attack the young shoots first because they don't have any fruit. So they're looking for that soft tissue that's going up. They'll attack that those new shoots causing tip dieback. Then when the fruits start coming on and they start getting ripe and softer, they'll go after the fruit. So in the meantime, their numbers are building. So that what you're trying to do is reduce their numbers with the pheromone traps, capture them out, keep them out. And you, if you do it, and I know the the research is out there. It says it won't work unless it's a certain side orchard, da di da di da whatever. I got it to work, and I only had 100, maybe a little over 100 peach trees, and I used mating disruption, and it worked. I also used it on codling moth for the apples and pears, and I probably had a, maybe 100, 150 apples and pears out there, and I got it to work with three traps. So I don't know. Uh, it worked with me. I know they're flying. They're being caught in the traps. I know they're there. I think I know where they're coming from. Uh, but anyway, it's done. Uh, so give it a shot. Uh, where to get them? Search online. I mean, I do have, I use a commercial supplier. I haven't contacted for a while. Hopefully, they're still willing to do it. But you can still get them through groworganic.com and some of the other places as well that sell pheromone traps and lures. Get the 
get the don't get most of them are going to sell the deltas and that's unfortunate get the wing traps look for that and then look for the strongest pheromone that you can buy for that particular insect pest okay anyway that's it on the uh, I, I, I'll try to have a class on Eventbrite for anyone interested uh, on how to use them and, and what to use and, and how, to, how, to, how, how to put them out how to deploy them but uh, watch for that on Eventbrite coming up I probably should have it about the middle of May excuse me the middle of April sometime so there's enough time to get the traps and, and deploy them Question, what type of grapes should I grow to make raisins? Is there any special trick to making raisins, or do you just dry the grapes? Well, yeah, you know, traditionally it's been Thompson seedless that have been used for just the basic grapes. To me, raisins. Raisins to me are raisins, and they're, um, uh, as far as Thompson seedless goes, those are, uh, aren't are really, um, really as much of a, to me, I think some of the better raisins are fantasy. Uh, the black ones, they're black seedless grapes. The fantasy grape is a good one uh, for making raisins. I like to dry them down, but not overly dry them. I like to have them just a little bit soft and tender, uh, but dry them down enough so they don't mold. That's important. Also, when you're drying things in the desert, uh, temperature is really important. I, I bought a not, I bought plans to build a solar dryer, and the the plans came from a university in West Virginia. And so I, I had one of my volunteers uh, who was really uh, a, a, a good with carpentry skills, and they built it for me. And uh, I brought it in, and I tried it, and it just got too freaking hot in the sun. They, the, the, the temperatures just got way too high with the solar dryer. So I ended up moving it to the shade and it worked beautifully. So what I would tell you is this. You, the temperatures, you don't want drying temperatures really above much above 140 degrees. You want a long dried process. You don't want any water, rain on them. You want to try to keep the dust off and bugs off it as much as possible so you cover it with cheesecloth or something just to keep those bugs and flies off of it while they're drying and then just put them in the shade and let them dry during the summertime I wouldn't put them in the sun it just gets way too hot in the desert for doing grapes but uh, the other one the, the problem that you have is stealing this is in two-legged two critters these are four-legged critters Things like ground squirrels love to get in them. They love to get in almonds as well as they love to get into grapes, raisins. They like to steal them. If you've got rats in the area, they're going to go after it for sure. Uh, so you may have to protect them as well. Next question, is it too late in the year to replace a flowering plum tree? Another in my yard is starting to blossom. When I first read this, I didn't read the second part of it. I was wondering why they were asking if it's too late in the year we're in march right now and it's is a perfect time to plant so why are they and then i put two and two together i thought oh they're asking because their other flowering plum tree is flowering maybe they shouldn't be planting their flowering plum now because of the flowering and flowering has nothing to do with it you can go ahead it's just like any fruit tree you can plant them when they're flowering not a problem at all 
just uh, if you're doing it from containers and that's the only way that you're going to be planting uh, if they are flowering at this time of the year then just go ahead and plant at any time in there no problem at all just in the desert I would avoid uh, maybe after the middle of April first part of May I think you're going to have problems planting anything from containers they're going to struggle even if you put them quickly into the ground you keep them moist you make the soil moist at the time of plant you're going to have some problems they'll take but they're going to they're going to struggle it's better if you get your planting done middle of January early part of February up until that first part of May and then again fall planting time around the middle of September to the first of November you just want enough time where the soil is warm enough for good root growth for establishment that's what's critical this is, doesn't include palm trees palm trees are in a different category they should be planted when the soil is really warm and you should avoid planting them in the fall don't plant those in the fall those should be done in the spring they should they should be done uh, late spring early summer midsummer for the palm trees uh, uh, when you're planting them but the other trees early spring very early spring late winter early spring spring early summer then avoid it middle of summer time in the desert and then go ahead and pick it up in September ish to the late fall when temperatures start to drop again in the fall time and then through it but give yourself enough time a few weeks after planting for root establishment to occur uh, for good establishment so you want those soil temperatures you know 50 above 50 degrees at the time of planting whenever possible alright so no problem at all doing that what type of fertilizer do you suggest for table grapes mine have been in the ground three years now and production has been less than I hoped I've been using compost and worm castings twice a year well it sounds like you're really fertilizing well this may not be a fertilizer problem this may be a pruning problem remember that grapes depending upon the variety are either spur pruned or they're cane pruned the difference is how much of last year's growth you leave remain you leave attached onto the old growth remember that grapes come from last year's last spring summer growth that's where the fruit is going to be produced it's not produced on old wood it's produced on young wood it's produced on last year's when we cut that back we either we cut back the stuff that we don't want to grow any further but we also then the ones that we want to focus and that's usually pencil size diameter uh, not not the really big stuff but the pencil size diameter is ideal pencil size may be a little bit larger than that but if they get too large they usually aren't very productive we call those bull canes and those bull canes typically aren't aren't as productive as the smaller canes or the spurs so go ahead and remove those uh, or you can cut them way back and have them regrow again uh, into more canes for the next year and you can select what you want from that um, but uh, again it's you may have a variety that should be cane pruned usually when 
when we're cane pruning, those varieties that should be cane pruned will produce their fruit in the first within the first five buds or so of that last year's growth. So we'll usually leave about 10 buds out per cane and then recut them again uh, when we get our production, when we find out where those bunches are being produced. So this may be an issue where you are not pruning properly because that's real typical of not pruning properly. What we'll get is we'll still get some production, but the production isn't as much as we want. That's a, a pretty good indicator that you're not pruning properly. It's not a fertilizer issue. The fertilizers sound great on it. That uh, covers some of the topics in depth. Let me know how it does. I hear that music coming, so it's time to say goodbye. Thanks for joining me in this Desert Horticulture.